0: I want to take you some, some things in Revelation, and uh, primarily we're going to look at Revelation 19, a passage in Revelation. But if, last week, I talked about the goodness of God and, the, and how that's one of his attributes. And I think we need to remember the attributes of God. that He is good. There's nothing but good in him. When he judges, he judges out of his goodness. When he chastens, he chastens out of his goodness. There's, there's not a, an angry side to God. It says that the wrath of God, but that comes out of his holiness when he's spoken and drawn, in, and then he exacts the, the re, uh, result of people's rejection of him. But there's nothing, there's nothing but goodness about God. And we're going to look at something else <coughs> about him, more this the last two weeks, we saw the raw power of wind and rain. And, um, you know, I, I, I got up that morning and I turned on, I wasn't a weather holic, and you know? I didn't have it on all the time because it's kind of like got like overboard with people trying to see who could stand out there the longest in rain and wind, like. I told Brynn, I says, I'm, what I'm looking at, I'm so afraid that a, a sign's gonna come flying through the air and hit the person on live television. I think that happened there. Did it? it did. A stop sign? <laughs> mm-hmm. So, wiped her out? No, are you serious? Seriously. Well, I, I was, uh, every time I, I would see that, I would start getting worried about, I don't think you're supposed to be out there. But it was kind of like they're, they're dangerholics. How about that? Is that a word, dangerholics? They, they, they like, oh, the other weather station is having somebody out there in 80 miles an hour. Let's see if you can do 90. Uh, you know, it's like, wow, you know, what, what's going on? But, you know, when, when I saw the St. Johns River, how high, we, we lived there for 11 years. And I thought, like, wow, that's downtown. Downtown Jacksonville is going to get flooded. It's, it's not even high tide, hasn't he? Come in, and I went in there and told her, I've never seen St. John's River that high. And sure enough, Jacksonville had serious flood problems. So we see these storms, the, the power of these storms. You remember, uh, I mentioned the tsunami that came out of the 2004 uh, earthquake. I didn't give you this number in case you're interested. Um, that earthquake had enough power to be measured by about 23,000 Hiroshima-type bombs. What, what that earthquake exerted in the ocean floor was 23,000 Hiroshima bombs. And some of those waves were whistling through there at hundreds of miles an hour. People didn't have any warning. 166,000 people in Indonesia alone was killed, and yet Vesuvius, Mount Vesuvius, that buried Pompeii and one of another Roman cities in 79 AD. Um, you know what the equivalent of their eruption in Hiroshima-type bombs? It's a lot more than the earthquake in Indonesia they said the power of that eruption was about 100,000 times the Hiroshima bomb. And it still remains one of the most dangerous volcanoes in the world. Three million people live in the area that once was populated before it erupted in 79. So we, we hear these terms, the most powerful hurricane or one of the most powerful hurricanes or the most powerful volcanic eruption, why do, why do they use those terms? It seems as though there's going to be nothing to supersede it, right? Well, it might not be likely, but is it possible? Yes, it is. And the reason is that we measure power because it's measurable in our domain. We use terms that compare one thing to another, what I'm going to take you to is the incomparable power of God. It's the word omnipotent. Or He is the omnipotence of God, the all-powerful aspect of God, the attribute of God. If you, did, if you pulled up your Bible app, you version, whatever you have, and you have it on the King James uh, translation, and you typed in omnipotent, only one verse would pop up. Only one verse in all the Bible was translated in King James, omnipotent. And it's Revelation 19, 6. And uh, as you turn there, I want you to think about, now, I'll give you a heads up. The word translated, omnipotent, is not translated in, in, I think, the New American Standard, Uh, Maybe it's omnipotent. I know the New King James translated, but almost everything else translates it as almighty. And it's actually the the word that, uh, the Greek word appears 10 times in the New Testament, but only once did the translators, the King James translators, use the word omnipotent. Here's the rendering. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude as the sound of many waters and as the sound of mighty thundering, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. That's, that's the new King James. The F on the King James. Reigneth is just given the F sound, reigns. But it, it's only translated by them, but it means all power. Um, it comes from the... Uh, Ponto kratos is, is the word that is translated from. Kratos is the word for power, rule, uh, dominion, and ponto is the all, all power to rule and reign. You'll see these two dynamics always blending together. It comes from um, uh, Omnipotence comes from the old Latin and old French of the 1500s. Now listen to this. This word was crafted in, in Latin and old French only to apply to God, The word is not found in literature applied to anything else or anyone else. It is singularly used to describe God, the all-powerful one, the almighty one. And if you notice something in Revelation 19.6, omnipotence is connected to something else about God. What is it? The Lord Almighty reigns. His right to exact order and structure in the universe. These two things are inseparable. The sovereignty of God, his right to be the sovereign of the universe, the one who rules and reigns the universe, and him being all powerful are inseparable. You cannot separate those two dynamics. Even tonight, as we were singing, we use the word king a lot for Jesus. Well, that king is a direct reference to that last word in Revelation 19.6. A king does, he reigns. That's what a king, he is there to reign in exact order and subject people to his order. Now, 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 this theme, we're going to kind of deal with this theme a little bit, but I was asking someone uh, the other day who they were accountable to, and uh, and they had trouble telling me who they're accountable to, and, you know, I, I kept asking, well, what about this or that, and and finally they kind of got down to, you know, a handful of people that really and truly they're not accountable to. They was. They were saying they were accountable to them, but they weren't accountable. When people are not accountable to anyone, they make huge mistakes and terrible decisions because nobody knows how to do everything right all by themselves. Even in a marriage, you know, when you take Ephesians 5, before it gets to, like, describing what a husband and wife does, before it gets to that, it makes a statement that you would be submitted to each other. What that means is there's mutual accountability. A husband that does not think he's accountable to his wife is not a very good husband because he's absolutely avoiding her perspective and women have a radar that they pick up incoming missiles that our radar does not pick up. <laughs> they are, they got a radar. They're like, hey, you need to watch out for that. What? Bang! There it is. like, well, oh. why didn't you say something earlier? Well, I discern. I said, we need the discernment, okay? We're like linear people. We see this and we don't see this coming this way. But women's got this radar. And, and you know the old thing is like, <laughs> I remember eating lunch with someone from the church. We did have lunch a lot. And when his tea got got uh, like where he needed to refill, he would do this to the waitress: rattle his glass of it. You know, I was waiting for her to throw a gallon of iced tea at us. It's like, ugh, don't do that. But his his culture was the woman was to run around all the time and wait on him. And when he shook his glass, they're supposed to, oh, you shook your glass, oh, here's your tea. It's like, they'll pour it on top of you now. Don't shake your glass at people like that. But this is where, and and the better marriages, the better marriages are meant to have co-accountability, co-submission to where there's a mutuality, there's a partnership in that. And he is getting to this dynamic. In a sense, in a wide range, this is really a principle that originates from God. When uh, Watchman Nee wrote his book, Spiritual Authority, and he broke down authority. You know, uh, John Bevere did the book Undercover, and uh, there were some parts of that I didn't think was good. I thought most of it was good. I thought Watchman Nee is a better book. Because what Watchman Nee tells you is that all authority comes from one source. All authority comes from God. God is the original authority. And and this authority is all through what we're about to share. And that authority breaks down into our lives as how do we apply the authority of God in our lives. How do we, first of all, submit to authority? I'll tell you this. If, if you don't like people telling you what to do, Yahweh, that's a bad warning, 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 warning. That's that's not going to go good for you. If you like, I don't like people telling me what to do. That's not good. Okay. Revelation 19:6. I didn't read the first part, the first five verses of Revelation 19, but the great harlot. Of Revelation eighteen is smashed, and verse six is the declaration of the result of that. You can look at verse five verses; it's it's there. This exaltation of oh, that great city, the great harlot, and if you read uh, chapter eighteen, the great city Babylon that is destroyed in uh, chapter eighteen is actually the merchant the merchant of Babylon. There's a spiritual Babylon, but there's also an economic Babylon. And it, and it really kind of fits the thing that the Antichrist will control people by how? Through commerce, through purchasing, through money. And it's not money. You can have all the money in the world, but when they restrict how you can use that money, then that's, that's control. And Babylon, the great city of Babylon, had control over global commerce. And she's wiped out. The commerce center during the tribulation, the great Babylon, that great city, is destroyed. And she's destroyed primarily because she's got blood on her hands because of the persecution of believers. Well, is there going to be believers in tribulation? Of course they are. There's going to be people that come to faith in Jesus through those 144,000 evangelists that's turned loose. They're going to go out preaching the kingdom of God and people are going to get saved. But when they get saved, they won't take the mark of the beast and they'll be killed. And God judges the the commerce, the the domination of the world, that system that restricted. And what's about to happen after verse 6 is that Armageddon is about to happen. You just read a couple more verses down And this declaration, okay, merchant Babylon has been destroyed. And while heaven rejoices, it says the the merchants of the world are in mourning because their capacity to make money is gone. Their power grab is gone. Their their control over the world is gone. And it's really about to take a big hit because everything's lining up for Armageddon. And that is where the false prophet, the Antichrist, and the Antichrist army is destroyed in the Valley of Megiddo. I mean, we're getting pretty, Revelation 19 is getting really close to the end of stuff, but it's not there yet. And think about this the last words of verse 6 For the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Not future tense will reign, our past tense reigned. But it's reigning right now, even though there's still work to be done. And it's about to be done. So he exact reigns me. He exacts rule and authority. And he is uh, unchallenging his power and, and right and might to do that. No one can challenge the authority and power of God. He's all-powerful. But get this. When we say, what, what's... What's uh, missing in the statement, "God has power." God has all power, but even if you say it that way, what, what could be like cumbersome for that? God has all power." It's not a trick. I'm just trying to get you to think a little bit different angle. God has all powers. We think of has as holding something (coughs) instead of being something. God is all-powerful. But God is also immutable. He cannot change. God is infinite. So you you combine those two dynamics. God is all-powerful. He is infinite. So his power... Has no limit. We can make we say all as though it's contained, and yet see the way we we're in this sphere. You use up energy. You gotta you gotta rest. You gotta renew your energy. You gotta recharge. You know, I, sometimes I get the big idea if I'm visiting someone at the hospital on the fifth floor, I'm on the third floor, say, hey, I'll go up two flights of steps. And then I need oxygen when I get up to first floor. Hey, you doing all right? I've come to pray for you. Can you pray for me first? <laughs> you know, it's a bad idea. You know, take the steps down. Don't go to the state, take steps up. I should do it, though. But we have to replenish. When God uses his power, it's self Perpetuating, he doesn't use his power; he demonstrates it. Because use has the idea that it got out there and it got used up. He's all sufficient within himself, and we measure things. You know, I, I did a little mechanic work out of complete necessity. Pulled the engine out of a '65 Ford Galaxy because the rear main seal was leaking. And I didn't have $100 for the guy to fix it. And that seal only cost 10 So I made me a homemade uh, deal oh, wow. and borrowed a guy's come along. And I pulled the engine out of that to keep from paying. I didn't have $100. You didn't have credit cards. I had Brenda out there helping me, right? You remember that, Brenda? <laughs> have you forgiven me? <laughs> no. I, after all these years. Cause you know I didn't I didn't do something right. So when I was pulling the motor away from the the car, I thought it saw it moving. I said, "What's going on?" And I looked up and the whole thing was coming at me. And Brenda was standing on the hood of the car, and she jumped across to miss it onto the windshield of the car. And she didn't talk to me for a couple of days. But see. I ended up paying more money because I didn't know what I was doing. And I didn't need a torque wrench because that was going to cost more money. Then I snapped off a boat in the engine block. So then I had to go really get an ease out and see, you need, those <laughs> you need those torque wrenches. And you know why you need a torque wrench? Because you, it's easy to put too much power. And it measures how much foot pounds or whatever they call it. It's like, boy, I was out there measuring. I said, well, I better stop right there. And this is the way we measure power. We have things that we measure. God's power is not measurable. He he doesn't use it up. He he remains, he's consistently all-powerful. He doesn't change. And I think we need to remember that. I think when we remember, when we see things that we're dealing with, I think we need to remember, when we see things that our children are going through, I think we need to remember God has not lost any of his power. He hasn't used up power. He doesn't have to wait and have more power. He is always all-powerful, all the time. And I think in our need, when we get so covered up with something, we need to look through all of that and say, God, but you're you're all-powerful. There's nothing that we face that you can't do. So we just need to trust you. We need to trust your all-power. I'm going to give you the other nine places, the ten places where this book is, this word is found. It's translated omnipotent and it's translated all powerful, or almighty, in other places. Nine of them are in Revelation. I'm going to give you those nine. The first one is in chapter one, when John sees Jesus. And remember, the last book of the Bible is the Revelation, singular, the the single revelation of Jesus Christ. It's, it's not the. The revelation of the end time, it is the revelation of Jesus. There's more about the person of Jesus that's promoted in that last book. And that's why I believe it tells you there's a blessing for everybody who reads it. Because you get more acquainted with attributes of Jesus when you read it. Now, he says in verse, this is uh, chapter 1, verse 8, he says, I am Alpha and the Omega. Says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Ponticratos, the Omnipotent, the Almighty. It's translated Almighty. Even in the King James, it's translated Almighty. If you go to chapter 4, verse 8, the four living creatures, and, and, and here's what you can write next to what we just read in chapter 1 the Almighty, the Omnipotence of God. Is, is also linked with his timelessness, who was and is to come. The one who does not fit within time frames is also connected to his omnipotence, his all power. And the four living creatures connect this. They're the ones who are created in heaven to continually praise the living God. The four living creatures and each one of them having six wings are full of eyes around within, and day and night they do not cease to say this. Holy, holy, holy. They celebrate the character of God. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, the Pante the Omnipotent One, who was and who is and who is to come. So the character of God is connected to his timelessness, And you see these themes kind of running side by side in these verses. In Revelation chapter 11, the third place this word is translated. We give you thanks. Verse 17. We give you thanks, O Lord God, the Almighty. You could actually say the Almighty One, the Pontacratos. The Almighty who are and who were because you have taken your great Power and have begun to reign, have authority and right to govern the world. Chapter 16, verse 7. And I heard the altar saying, Yes, O Lord God, the Almighty, the Pante Kratos, the Almighty One. True and righteous are your judgments. The all-powerfulness of God linked with his character makes all of his judgments true. Everything he does is right. His judgments are just and true. And in verse 14 of the same chapter, boy, this is, uh, I think when the sixth bowl is poured out, poured out, I believe, uh, there's this three frog-like demons that come out of, the dragon's mouth. I mean, boy, it's kind of scary when you read this. It's really like there's just so much darkness that's going to happen in the tribulation. And this verse is right behind that when these three frog-like spirits come out of the dragon's mouth. Verse 14, for they are spirits of demons performing signs which go out to the kings of the whole world to gather them for the great Battle of the Almighty. And and see, I think we need to remember the Antichrist is not, we see anti as against. But the word anti could also mean in place of. And when Jesus said there's going to be false messiahs, the Antichrist is not going to come across as hostile. He's going to come across as a self-proclaimed messiah to solve the world's problem. Everybody's going to make treaties with him first three and a half years he's in charge, it's going to be like we finally found someone that will instill global peace. And, and the Bible says, don't, don't fall for it. He's going to exact all these policies, but halfway through that seven-year pact that he makes with globe, the, the world leaders, they're going to see his true nature. And that's when it's all going to break loose. And toward the end of that, when all this is happening, He's going to gather and assemble an army to destroy Israel. His purpose is to destroy Israel, and God is going to intervene by Jesus coming and defeating him. So the whole thing is about authority. The whole thing is about who's going to be over the world, and he's going to meet his match that day. In chapter 19, uh, I I read earlier verse 6. This is verse 15, and uh, I just got one more verse that Almighty Ponticratos is in. From his mouth comes a sharp sword. This is Jesus coming from heaven on a horse with the, uh, the armies of, of heaven with him. And it says, uh, a sword comes out of his mouth so that he may strike down the nations. And he will, here again is his reigning and ruling. He will rule them with a rod of iron. And he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God, the Almighty. There's that word again. It's omnipotent. The omnipotent one. And 21, 22 is kind of interesting. We'll finish it up with this. And I saw no temple in it. This is a new Jerusalem. This is when everything's been made new. For the Lord God, the the omnipotent one, the almighty one, same word, and the lamb are its temple. Think about that. We think of a temple as a place together to localize our worship. But heaven's not going to have a temple It's not going to have a place. Heaven is going to be the place that the presence of the Almighty God and the Lamb are going to provoke continual praise forever. It's not going to be localized in a place. Heaven's not going to have all of this. Just build my mansion next door to Jesus. That's a very sweet thought. But it's not going to be that way. Heaven is going to be all about not a mansion heaven's going to be all about him. We're not, you know, we we may be impressed with how it looks until we see him. And when we are in the unveiled presence of God that we cannot see in these, that we're incapable of enduring an encounter with the unveiled presence of God. And when we're recreated, with the body that Jesus has, who were reconstituted, there's not going to be a veil between us and seeing our Heavenly Father. No more this cloud that he has to keep between us. We're going to see him face to face. Now think about this. The the Bible begins with this. In the beginning, God, Barah, created the heavens and the earth. (coughs) And he started by saying what? Let, let there be light. And there was there was the sun. There was a sun. He simply said, Let there be a material star on fire. That self-perpetuates its fire that will be light for what I'm about to do. And he created a lesser light for night, and he called that the moon. And that says he, be, he created the heavens and the earth. And then he, you see, here, here's, the, here's the weird thing. I just, I would, I would believe in evolution, but I just don't have enough faith to believe it. Someone tells me that a big bang started it. Maybe, uh, Shelby, you can remember the um, geology professor that was here when I came here, a woman, who taught at the University of Alabama. She didn't stay here long. Her husband wasn't a believer. She was a believer. But uh, she brought me a book on geology. The, uh, with a study of the formations and, and she, you know, thumb this uh, page on the Big Bang and she didn't believe it. She didn't believe it. Even though academically this was the explanation of how everything started. And I just had a good conversation. He, he, uh, both of them got jobs at uh, Chapel Hill, which is a pretty good university to, to get a job at. Do you remember who I'm talking about? Uh, they wasn't here, she wasn't here very long at all. Her husband didn't come to church. He wasn't a believer. But I really appreciate her taking time just to talk to me. And she uh, gave me a textbook, and she folded that page over. And, and, and in that textbook, this particular textbook said that the Big Bang come from something microscopic. I was like, I'm missing something here. There's a lot of planets out there. And you mean to tell me that that all, that all came from an explosion. But y'all don't know where the explosion came from. And you don't know the fuel that was needed for the explosion or the catalyst to set it off. Or how did oxygen get there so there could be an explosion? Where did, Nobody can tell you that. But when you think about God being all-powerful and he said something and created something, matter created like something you could see real material and he's just started just layering this creation with all of the wonder and the majesty of this planet you know it's easy to say he is all powerful he does not lack any power and you think about you know, can I ask you this? Can you just give me a few more minutes? He did all this in six days. The sixth day was Adam and Eve's day. And I'm not so dogmatic that someone says, you, do you really think those are 24-hour days? I said, I don't know. I don't know. Who knows? Who's got to watch? You know, like, oh, I've got 24 hours to do this. You know, maybe he did it like milliseconds. But he called these days, did he not? And and it was like, this happens first day, second day this, third day this, and fourth day, and the sixth day he creates Adam and Eve. And he does something on the seventh day. He does what? Rest. Why did he rest? He'd been busy. Busy week. Hmm? Set an example. Set an example. Uh, Obviously, that is referred to when, you know, it wasn't until that was codified when Moses gave the law and the the Ten Commandments and the the honor of the Sabbath day to keep it holy. But, you know, that was the law, and that was uh, way after creation. So any other um, contributions on why he rested on the seventh day? As an example... Yeah, anybody wants to take a stab at it? He was finished. <laughs> he, he was finished, there was nothing else to create. He had set ecology in motion. He gave Adam and Eve instruction and he was finished. Obviously well, it was not a rest because he was tired because he cannot be tired. He's incapable of using any power that lessens what he has. He is all-powerful no matter what he does, when he does it. Jesus stood, stepped out of that, did he not? He stepped out of those attributes, and that's why he felt something leave him when the woman touched him. He felt energy leave him. He said, something, something, something was drawn out of me because he wasn't walking in the attributes that he had before he came in the flesh. He, he had something leave him, left him into her, and it healed her. That's because he had laid aside his use of all those attributes. He could have had all knowledge. He could have, he could have just like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to invoke my attributes, but he laid all that aside so that he could face life like we face life And know what it's like to meet all the temptations we meet, yet without sin. So that as a faithful high priest, he knows how to pray for you because he's felt the challenges you feel. But his father was unfazed by any of this. He was on the throne the whole time. And when you see Revelation, it's all about the throne of God, is it not? Everything's about the throne of God. God is on the throne. What does that mean? God is in charge. And I'll finish with this. Romans 10 says, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Why did that get phrased that way? If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, why that? Pastor, who knows that? You're right, who knows that? But why is saying Jesus is Lord so crucial to being saved? It goes along with him being the sovereign of your life. And there's a lot of people that confess Jesus as Savior, but they don't confess him as the sovereign of their life. They don't consult him. They don't trust him. They don't depend on him. They don't pray. But they will tell you they're a believer because they've asked him to forgive them of their sins. Remember, Jesus will say in the last days, people will say, Lord, Lord, Lord. And I will tell them, I don't know who you are because you never submitted to my sovereignty. You only wanted your ticket punched for heaven. And I'm afraid in our culture and Western thinking, a lot of people think they're in the good. And I can tell you an example. Even when we have a service in here on Sunday morning and I want people to remain for the altar time there's a mad dash of people getting out of here because basically it doesn't matter what anybody says up here. And that is a scary, I'm, I'm, I'm not offended by that, but I just know it doesn't matter, if it, it's not me. It's just a matter of us being sensitive to being told what to do. And, you know, I grew up to, to respect that. You know, we, we, you, don't, we don't, you don't walk out while somebody's still talking up there. But I'm just saying this is where our world is getting to, and we need a new baptism of the authority of God in our lives so that we're a little cautious when we're doing something that borders on nobody tells me what to do. Somebody's always going to be telling us what to do. And that somebody is always God, whether or not we listen to him. And this is why I think Jesus makes such a point in talking to people. There's people that, well, we did some great ministries. We cast out demons, people healed. And, um, and he said, I don't know you either because you're workers of iniquity, which is a word for I don't want parameters around me. Iniquity is, is a lawless person. He doesn't want any structure around them. I don't have to do that. If I want to leave, I'll leave. If I want to do this, I'll do this. And basically, all of us could do whatever we wanted to do. It's like the guy whose who's teenage son asked him one day, he says, why can't we drink? Why, why don't we drink? Why can't we drink? He says, oh, uh, I have never said we couldn't. We just don't. But you want to drink? Okay. We'll drink. You want some alcohol? And the young guy says, "Well, I, you know, uh, I'm." He said, "Well, let's get some reasons uh, why we should. Let's come up with why we should." And teenagers kind of, "Oh, well," uh, he said, "Well, I got one because we want to throw up a lot. How's that?" <laughs> but he was trying to get a point across. His son, I can't keep you from doing whatever you want to do. You can do whatever you want to do, but son, there's consequences. And you're going to pay a heavy price if you're not listening to God. If nobody can tell us, slow it down. Be patient. You might ought to wait on that decision. You ought to be careful how you talk about somebody who is your supervisor. You ought to weigh what you're doing to make sure that you're not getting out of bounds with God because all power really comes from him.